Welcome back to Teaching with the Body and Mind. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Ross. Hi, Mike. And Joey. Hey. And Tom is still in Australia, but we have a special guest, Ray Pika, with us. Hi, Ray. Hi. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I was on your podcast a long time ago now, it seems. <laughs> and actually, Ross has talked to you at a conference somewhere. Yeah, as a, I was a former instructor at the University of Minnesota, and I used your movement book for our course, for our uh, physical motor development course. Oh, thank you. So, but I know you have a new book, and it's funny because I just had it up on my screen, but I... That's Acting a Out, which a has a double meaning. I like that. And then the subtitle is Avoid Behavior Challenges with Active Learning Games and Activities. Yeah, so. and I've um, used other books of yours, but I haven't had a chance to really like read through this book. I just kind of skimmed a little bit. So if you want to talk a little bit about the book itself... Yeah, thanks. Um, I don't have a copy either. It's coming out this month. It was supposed to be supposed to be October, but now let's see. I think sometime this week it's going to be hot off the press. So, okay. so that's exciting, and who knows when I'll get my hands on it. But um, yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of a, a different take on quote unquote behavior management because I don't think most early childhood professionals would associate movement and active learning with behavior management. But of course I do. Um, yep. Everything for me revolves around movement and active learning because that's <laughs> what young children are about. So uh, in addition to a whole lot of tips, uh, you know, based on the mistakes I've made through my many, many years, it includes games for circle games, for building community and uh, cooperative games for promoting pro-social skills, brain breaks so the children aren't sitting still all the time, which isn't good for them or for behavior, uh, relaxation exercises, and games to teach self-regulation. So, you know, I mean, if you've got pro-social skills going on and people having friendlier feelings toward one another, if they're having breaks, if they're learning self-regulation in a way that is developmentally appropriate and that they enjoy, you know, and if you're building community with games, then to me, it's logical you're going to have fewer behavior issues. So that's what the whole avoid behavior challenges is about. But I was curious, Ray, you, you mentioned that, the, that you liked how the title of your book, The Acting Out, had a double meaning. And I, I, I was curious to hear how you see that as a double meaning, because I like that idea. Well, I do, too. I mean, when people think acting out, they think of children acting out, you know, misbehaving. Um, but in this case, it also refers to the children acting out things, you know, pretending, imagining. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where I see the double meaning. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and in a way that, that makes me think of it, sort of that reframing in a way. So yeah. when teachers see kids acting out in that negative way, you could say, oh, they're giving me information about what they need. Or I like that, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Third meaning. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think you're right, though, that idea of like, well, if you don't let them act out in the ways your book's talking about, they're going to act out... <laughs> Yeah. In ways well, you don't want, right? I mean, yeah. that's yeah. really what it comes down to. And, and yeah. I, think, I think the the acting out piece as well is that the way that children make sense of the world, that in the dramatic play area or in the block area, these areas where children are processing, how do I handle my feelings? How do I understand the, my roles in, in my family or in this classroom? That when I'm feeling frustrated, we see that there can be that play acting that is 
you know, the child who's the parent kind of scolding their their baby for not behaving while they're trying to make sense of maybe things that they themselves are hearing is so that trying to we can again, it gives us the adult, maybe the adult, the information to go, oh, I now I see kind of how you're understanding mm-hmm. the information you're getting from me. Right. Exactly. I, I just saw something. We just passed 9-11, of course, yeah. and someone wrote that after, you know, the first 9-11, the children were building blocks and then knocking them down with, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the block towers and, and saying, oh, no, you know, there's been a crash and all that sort of thing. And and that's exactly what they were doing. They were expressing their feelings and, and working through it in the only way that they knew. And when we, I remember Nancy Carlson Page in, in my podcast once asked if they don't express their feelings that way, you know, if they don't have the opportunity to play things out, where does it all go? Right. 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 And if they're told that they're doing something wrong when they do it, also yes. you know, get yeah. that message. That's yeah, exactly. Then yeah, you never right. don't you're, express your emotions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah, I did a blog post, uh, uh, something like, you know, seven reasons why we're seeing more behavior challenges in early childhood yeah. settings. And, um, and, and you know, it was essentially that, that we're not letting children be children and we're not letting them do what they need to do, what nature intended for them to do in, in order to express themselves. And, and I mean, just the movement piece, you know, we keep them from moving and children are born to move. I always ask, what if we tried to keep kittens and puppies from moving and playing? <laughs> I mean, it's ludicrous, right? And it should be right. just as ludicrous to keep children from from playing but yeah asking them to do things for which they're not yet developmentally ready and you know i mean these these expectations of them are just just horrifying these days and and making them sit still and and all the crazy things that we're asking young children to do and acting out is the only way they know how to express themselves because they don't have the words and they don't really even know what it is they're feeling. Just that right. frustration is building. So, you know, they're going to misbehave. And seriously, I, I, so many early childhood professionals all around the country these days tell me that they've never seen behavior challenges like they're seeing today. And I think, well, no wonder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you talked about that idea of the words. And I think that's like, we have such an adult bias that, speaking is a higher form of communication yeah. than movement oh yeah, yeah. and Good i point. think like, oh tell me how you're feeling yeah like, yeah well, i just threw a block right <laughs> I, I, had, I was a working, cool lady <laughs> exactly. i coach teachers like at a center right so that i'm always sort of observing teachers that i can then talk to and you know i'll see people ask why did you throw the block and it's like so it's important for you to get a them yes. to put it into words when they just showed you what they're feeling, you know what I mean? Like, I understand being able to um, translate it. Like, oh, are, you seem frustrated. I saw you throw the block versus why did you throw the block? Yeah. Like, I mean, what teacher doesn't know why a kid's throwing <laughs> right. a block or, or is yelling? And yet we're trying to get like sort of force them to articulate it Let when like you, I like the kitten and puppy yeah. uh, reference there of like, we, I mean, not that I, well, actually, I did ask my cat why they threw up all over the floor <laughs> yesterday, but I didn't expect an answer. So, um, oh, I get that. So, yeah. like, when, when you're coaching the teachers, um, what do you? So you tell them, "I see that you're frustrated," as opposed to "Tell me why you threw the block." Right. Can you tell me what goes 
next? You know, what what next you coach? Them? Right. So usually what I do is say, so start with what you see and interpret it for them. So find a way to talk to them. And it depends if we're talking about a toddler room or, you know, five-year-olds or, you know, with how they do it. But essentially, you seem really frustrated. Give them, you know, I always say the first thing you have to do is acknowledge the emotion. Yeah. So you're you're giving them the words. Yeah. So give them the words and then always have the opt out of it seems like, you know, am I right about that? Or, you know, like, and then if you need more information, if it's an older preschool, you might be able to say, well, I wonder what happened right before you threw that, you know, mm. trying to get at what. But mm -hmm. if it's a younger kid, I would just say from the information I know, were you trying to, you know, if, if there's another kid right there, were you trying to tell them to give you space or, you know, like trying to like guess at what they're doing, but give give them words if I need it. It depends right. yeah. if that's behavior that right. seems to be a conflict. If it's right. more like you're frustrated, let's help you with your right. emotions. Like, do you, we were talking about in the past, we talked right. about like using clay, uh, right. pounding on something, get, right. just getting outside. I, think, it, I like, think if Tom were here, he would probably just give the kids something else to throw. That doesn't that doesn't hurt anybody. Right, I'm worried that will hurt someone if it get if they get hit. Here, here, you can throw this. Right, and that's true. In my own classroom, I had the guideline: we take care of each other. And then from there, it was like, well, if we throw in this block, it's not taking care of each other. What could we do? And again, I worked with older preschoolers, so right, yeah, I have them come up with the idea. Whereas if it was a younger kid, I might say, let's find something together that you could throw <laughs> or right. whatever. Yeah. So asking them to verbalize what they're feeling is another one of those unrealistic expectations. You know, yeah. in, in, in my book, I use the example of um, handing out props. So say you've given each child a ribbon stick or a, a hula hoop, you know, and, and, right. and, and then you expect them to just stand there and, and await Wait, further instructions. Yes. 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 But if we, you know, if we think, Okay, these are children. <laughs> these are young yeah. children. <laughs> if we understand them, then we know they need just a couple of minutes to explore and experiment and, you yeah. know, just play with the darn things. And then, yep. then they'll be ready. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I, I know, um, I can't remember which book of yours, but I remember, I think it, you, know, you were talking about them learning like their space bubble. I don't know if that's the word you Oh, use. yeah, personal space. But, yeah. Yeah, with hula hoops and things. And, but, Somewhere in there, I do remember you sort of making that point of like, don't ex like have them play with them right. first so that then when they're using the prop for an activity, they right. it's well, not so novel where they're like not listening to you. They, they have to. Yeah. Experiment. And your example that you just gave of passing out, let's say the ribbon sticks and expecting them to, to hold tight while you tell them what you're about to do <laughs> all together. And then they don't do it, which you know they're gonna you know they're gonna wiggle them around and, and possibly run and jump and all mm -hmm. those kinds of things but then another teacher who, who expects them to stand still now they're misbehaving so i think there's yes. like another layer oh. that you probably do address in your book is just sort of like you know people say i've never seen so much misbehavior and it's like well maybe we've just never seen so much misunderstanding of of, of normal yeah. child development yeah. <laughs> well yeah and because children have far fewer opportunities to move yeah. these days. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're taking every opportunity they get. And yeah. one, of the, one of the things I love about the description that Redleaf gave this book was the tagline, movement is not misbehavior. And I thought, yes. oh my gosh, wow. that's perfect. You yes. know, because we tend to see movement as misbehavior. And isn't that yeah. interesting? Why? Yeah. 
you know, why? We, we know that the human body was meant to move, and it's especially yeah. true of the little ones. So why do we see it as misbehavior? Yeah. I mean, is it just a control thing? I think so yeah. much of it is. I think that's such a great tagline. We 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 circle back to that a lot. Is this mm-hmm. a lot of teachers? I think feel like they need to, for whatever reason, control the bodies right. of the or like. And you're a good teacher. The more the more they are controlling themselves, and you are controlling them. Yeah, I think that's a. Yeah, movement is not misbehavior. Is a brilliant mm-hmm. tagline. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I, I'm really, you know pleasantly surprised because I don't often agree with what publishers choose, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but they and really got like, it. And it's almost like a trickle down from, I do think you hear it a lot. Uh, well, I'll, I'll broadly stereotype elementary school settings. Right. Movement is misbehavior, you know, right. well, they're bouncing in their chair right. and somehow that means they can't learn two plus two. I, I met this um, person at one of my workshops on movement and she said that her uh, aunt was a like teacher back in the, I don't know the 30s and 40s and there was a child that couldn't sit still and it was a Just single one? room <laughs> well <laughs> but it was a single room schoolhouse but one who was extremely and uh whatever rambunctious and what the teacher did was asked a parent who was more mechanically inclined to put a spring on the seat mm. and so then the child I'm thinking this is like probably you know 1940 or something yeah. like and just had this chair that essentially now we have the exercise balls yeah. that kids sit on and stuff. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the kid could bounce around, you know, because that was that whole thing of your one teacher managing a classroom with kids from yeah. whatever, four to 18 or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, she was just like she she wasn't trying to control that, even though there was, I guess, an expectation in that classroom of sitting down. Yeah. But even she realized. But. They can't really. Like, right, right. Yeah. I mean, even though she didn't have the research, I mean, my the, the book includes research on, on fidgeting and, and, yeah. and sitting and all of that. I mean, we know now that children need to move in order to concentrate on, on something right. challenging. And I also have recommendations from teachers like putting bungee cords around the legs of the, yep. of the chair and ah. things like that. But um, did you guys hear... Um, I guess I came across it somewhere. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if it was a Washington Post or whatever. But the story about I'm getting all flustered because it just made me crazy, <laughs> and I immediately wrote a, a blog post about it about children falling out of their chairs. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I saw your blog post about it. Ugh. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, like what what the heck? <laughs> I mean, this is not right. Uh, this is really, really frightening. And, and why are we allowing that to happen? You know, we're afraid of letting children go out to play when the statistics show us that they're every bit as safe today as they ever were. Pe- yeah. Whether people believe it or not, and I know it's hard to believe. So we're afraid of things that aren't necessarily true. And then the things that we should be afraid of, like, you know, children learning to hate reading because we're forcing it on them and, and you know, yeah. and them falling out of chairs because they know they don't have a proprioceptive or vestibular sense. You know, I mean, these are the things we should be afraid of. Right, right. right. <laughs> well, I, I feel like it goes kind of tail circles back to the that idea of not understanding children. I think the more teachers, the more programs that are doing the teacher training are just looking at this pressure or this push of we need to build the academic brain first because that's what's going to get us back uh-huh. into the game of 
world competition with test scores or that that's what's going to prove that we are good and we're missing as you're saying right now children's need to move that play is the work that's going to help them reinforce their learning and i think the idea that we we've missed the mark that or that we as adults have forgotten and i argue it's it's impossible to go back to being a two or three-year-old in the developmental sense because we we think as mike you said earlier like talking is going to get we're going to it's the highest form of communication so we want children to rush ahead mm-hmm. and we're missing that idea of oh what do you need right now when you are one two three four five right. years old yeah is that is that is that input and that's how you're going to make sense of the world first and yeah. then you're going to start to articulate it verbally right yeah it comes down to understanding child development like you said ross yeah. and as mike you said earlier you know we see speaking the words being more important you know having more value than than acting out with the body and it comes down to that body mind dichotomy you know we think yeah. they're separate and that the functions of the brain are far superior to those of the body and you know, i don't know i don't know why um, I don't mm. know why we've got that idea, and I really don't know. I mean, maybe you have some theories as to what's gone wrong <laughs> with this world in terms I, of yeah. our expectations. When did when did parenting and education become competitions? You know, when when right. did all this pressure start to build? I I just don't know. I I would think, and maybe this is a, a as a person who myself doesn't, I'm not a parent, but working with families for the last 15 years, I think the in- introduction of social media and its prevalence has mm-hmm. now become, because there's more mommy blogs, there's more things where everyone can kind of say an opinion or an idea, and then that becomes gospel to a certain group, rather than it being backed by research or for coming from the professionals right. well, the that same have thing. a deeper understanding of development. Yeah, I think of, you know... Um, what was it called back then? Baby Einstein? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was like a perfect example of these sort of commercial ventures of like, oh, we can make money right. by selling these things that will supposedly make a child smarter. And they weren't based on anything. Well, like one. And it's just building the fear. And, and with advertising, the fear. You the fear. Right. If you don't buy this, your kid's going to be dumb. Right. Well, yeah. I also think, and that's funny because Ray, I was going to ask, you for your wisdom on this because you talk to more people than than we do um but i i i think some of it also comes from a a misplaced good intention i think so many people who are policymakers and education stakeholders but really the people who get to make all the rules Mm -hmm. are aware that all of our kids aren't doing doing equally well don't have equal access to opportunities they've interpreted some studies that say oh it's you know it's reading and it's math you know, we've talked on this up uh, this show about you know, oh, we we know there's a high correlation of illiteracy and and winding up in prison and things like that. So I think I think there's a good intention, and it's just gone sideways. And I wonder, I mean, again, Ray, you used to talk to more people than we do because you travel the country. But like, so what's going to flip it? When are we going to realize that this experiment isn't working? That kids are still <laughs> not succeeding. Worse. They're still not succeeding at the. We still don't have equal access to to um, right privilege in this society and focusing more and more and more on just the cognitive isn't getting the result that we're hoping for as a society. I can't quite figure out when this experiment is done. Well, Joey, let me say first that you are far more generous minded than I when you you talk about good intentions, because I just, mm, 
I yeah. just think there are a whole lot of people sitting around making these decisions in order to get votes or make money, okay. you know, line their pockets. No. I, you Fair. know, I didn't Fair. used to be a cynic, but in my old age, <laughs> I've definitely <laughs> become a cynic. And, and you know, I wanted to, to react to more than that, but I seem to have forgotten, forgotten what I was going to say. I mean, it, it, oh, yes, I've got it yeah. now. No, so. So what do they say is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over yeah. and over again and yeah. expecting different results. Well, I mean, this whole testing thing, we've been doing it and doing it. And so we say, let's do more. Let's do more. Yeah. That's yeah. like insanity on steroids, right? And it, they have to then focus on, so what are the things we can test easily? Yeah. Right? You know, right. Yes. What can be quantified? Literacy and math mm -hmm. are the ones that are easy to test. Yes. Movement. I mean, you can test creativity. Yeah. You yeah. Can't, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Can't quantify those only, things. You can only test little things like how many push-ups can you do, but not right. can you sit in a chair right. or like, right. or so, can you uh, whatever express like, yourself with your body? Express yourself yeah. with your body. Yeah. yeah. So okay, Ray, I'm I'm on the cynical train too. Don't <laughs> don't don't miss them. But so then, is it is it grassroots? Is it is it educating families? I mean, so to your point about people just want to get their votes and say, I'm going to teach everybody how to read and then they all get a job, you know, vote for me. So then we have to be the cynics and, and I guess, try to get access to, to the stakeholders and to the, to the decision makers, because we know they don't understand child development. Right. But I think that that's, I feel, I always feel kind of defeated yeah, uh, is that so hard to do? And I think the answer, like it didn't happen from what, it wasn't like there was, you know, back room somewhere where they decided no. this is what we're going to do. So in that sense, I understand the good intentions. Some people may have had good intentions and sure. gotten on the train. Or misinformed. Or misinformed. But some of yeah. it came from mommy bloggers themselves. Some came from race to the top. marketing. Race to the top, certainly. There no, was no child left behind. And then race to the top behind. did not help. Yeah. And so and just these things. And anytime there's money involved, then people. <laughs> so how are we going to be accountable to the right. money? Right. Exactly. It's a tough. Quantify it if there's tough. money involved push against. Yeah. I mean, you know, like the testing companies are making a bloody fortune. So that's right. it's hard to fight against. But yeah, there's so much misinformation out there. And then and then the media is one thing that just, right. you know, hasn't helped at all. So um, to Joey's point, I think we have to I think our first line of defense is the parents and mm -hmm. and because they want the best for their children. And if we help them understand what's really right, what's really developmentally appropriate, they will line up beside us and help us fight back. I just yeah. have to believe that. And I've created a series of, of reproducible parent letters, you know, that people can, mm -hmm. can download and just reproduce to their heart's content because sometimes they need help, you know, expressing these things and, and describing developmentally appropriate practice. Yeah. I also just did some brochures that they can, and I was surprised because the early childhood professionals asked me to do things, something that they could hand to administrators and policymakers. And I just want to mm -hmm. applaud their courage. Right. But yeah. yeah, we have to start with the parents. I mean, you know, if I think of recess and how it's being, you know, eliminated yeah. and shortened, a, a parent doesn't need research to, sh and there's plenty of it showing that, you know, recess is necessary and important. If her child comes home exhausted, stressed, frustrated at the end of the day, every day, and, and she realizes that it's because they have no breaks or, you know, because they've got yeah, 15 yeah. minutes to cram in lunch and recess, then she's going to do something about it. You know, she's really seeing it. So we have to help parents see, 
You know, mm-hmm. we, we have to help them see the need for movement and play. And, and I mean, and I can't imagine anybody wants their, you know, first grader falling out of her seat in school. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, yeah. you know, so, yeah, I think the parents are the first line of, of defense. And, and, and then if we can get the administrators on board, I, I guess it's bottom up, right? You know, mm-hmm. all the way to, to yeah, D.C. Yeah. So I I think that makes me think of, so where I work, um, I, my center is actually a large organization that does occupational therapy and speech therapy and things. So we often get the students who are, aside from the early childhood program, the therapists also see kids in elementary school who are behavior problems in elementary school. And I now usually meet with the parents and we talk about rough and tumble play, need for movement, all those sorts of things. And then say, you know, kids who need more movement tend to get become identified as problems and they're and all the parents are like that's my child and then yeah. you know then we can get the next step is and administrators hear from the kid who gets hurt on the playground and told uh-huh. by that parent i don't think the kid should go outside because my child broke their arm or something they also need to hear from you of i need more recess because my child otherwise isn't learning in the classroom they're being told to leave the classroom right. or go right. to people's office and so i mean it's three or four parents at a time. So it's not, but I think if more of us do that and help parents understand that, and you mentioned some PDFs, um, we, we do you have any of these materials that we can offer our listeners? Yeah, yeah. Um, if they go to raypeka.com slash promo, P-R-O-M-O, then they can download for free three PDFs that are from my YouTube videos. And that offer games for self that teach self-regulation, some circle games for community building, and some brain breaks. So I'm happy to offer those to your listeners. That's great. And I think obviously we could talk about this for the next, you know, 12 hours. But oh, I think so too. <laughs> but we should let you go. But I think that idea that one, having those resources for parents, but then also I think as we all work in centers where we can really let the parents know. You know, yes. when you go off to kindergarten, let the principal know what your expectations are. Let mm-hmm. them know you expect your kid to move. They've chosen our centers knowing that we have a lot of movement yeah. Yeah. or in a lot of outdoor experiences, you know, that they have the the power or whatever. And I know, you know, it's a movement, and I, but I think it's happening in different, in lots of different little areas. It's starting to change. Oh, and when so. I see articles in the Wall Street Journal and it's New York Times and Washington Post, uh, you know, it's like, okay, the pendulum might be starting to swing. And now that's where we have to really step up and get the momentum, be uh, advocates. So Mm -hmm. yeah, climb onto that pendulum and pull. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Ray. Um, We'll make sure to put the um, information about the PDFs on our podcast description and on our Facebook and information for the book. um, And we'll find out when it actually comes out. Other than that, I just want to thank you for the conversation, and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime. Yeah, Ray, it was a delight to talk with you. Oh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks, Ray. Bye. Thank you for listening to Teaching with the Body and Bond. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Music is by Big Wheel Popcorn.